0: You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel.
1: And I'm Barry Hummel, and welcome to episode number 27. This is Abigail's selection of the week. So, Abigail, tell us what we're going to be listening to today.
0: We listened to Modern Love, which is a Matt Nathanson album. It is his seventh studio album from 2011. And when I gave it to you, I incorrectly said that it was his second studio album. So we will get into why I was very confused about that. But first, why don't you tell us about the brewery?
1: Yeah, so I don't really have a specific theme today. I decided to go to a place that I'm very familiar with that's close to home, since again, we're doing this in uh, COVID safety times where we're doing it via Zoom. And I went to 26 Degree Brewing, which is in Pompano Beach. It's uh, been around for, I think, eight years. It's a beautiful space. It's actually a converted grocery store. I think it was a Winn-Dixie, in a, so it's like the Anchor's store of a shopping center. Oh, wow. It's a cavernous tap room because of that. But they utilize the space very nicely, right? Because the whole back half of it is where they brew. And then the front half is this wide open tap room, high ceiling. And they have a stage for music. I've been in there a number of times to watch bands play. They make a wide variety of beer You know, they work in all categories. They don't have anything in particular that is their specialty. They just they play the field. They do a ton of different stuff. And I know that they have a lot of cans. And since we're doing this remotely, I wanted to get some cans. And so I went up there. By the way, the name is a reference to the uh, Latitude. 26 degrees, Ah, which is where we are sitting here in Broward County. So anyway, I ran over there to get some cans, and I ended up with three very cool selections, three things I've never had before, even though I go there fairly regularly. So we're going to be having uh, three different things today.
0: I will say that you picked a lot of hoppy beers today.
1: I did. It's my turn to pick the beer. (laughs) (laughs) Partly it was because that's what they had available. Partly it was because of the things I had available. I did go for the hoppier categories today.
0: Well, and I think it's also worth noting that we are calling this episode Queen of Hops as a reference to one of the songs on this album. So today I will be the Queen of Hops.
1: Yeah, I think that I had that in the back of my head also when I was picking them out. Because sometimes we kind of determine the name of the episode when we're working on the details. And sometimes that lends itself to what I should be shopping for. So, but it does play to my favor today because it is hop day, even though
0: hop day, <laughs> you're
1: kind of the queen of not hops. But uh, today you have to be the queen of hops. <laughs> so, the first one we're going to have is called Pompano Pale Ale. Now, Pompano is a kind of fish, and Pompano Beach is named after the fish. So, the can is gorgeous. And I'll put some pictures up on the uh, website. The description on the can for this is from rod bending days to bonfire nights this well-balanced brew sets the mood just right because the only sound sweeter than a tight line is the pop when you crack open a pompano pale ale. So reel in a big one, throw back a cold one, and enjoy no matter where your adventure takes you. In honor of that reading, I'm going to crack open the can.
0: You know, all the cans that we're drinking from today are really beautiful. Gorgeous can design.
1: Artwork is gorgeous.
0: Yeah. Cheers to enjoying the cans with your eyes before you enjoy the beer with your tongue.
1: So my initial sip of this, I like this very much. It is it is hoppy, but it's on the light side. It's not an overwhelming hops. It is a pretty balanced beer as described on the can. I like this one a lot.
0: Yeah, I don't. <laughs>
1: I figured. It's hoppy.
0: It's not that I dislike it. It's just that the hops are the only flavor in there. And that is
1: all it is. It is a That's classic it. pale ale. It is hop. <laughs> it is what it is. It's a beer drinker's beer.
0: If you like traditional.
1: Hoppy beers.
0: Hoppy beers, which I don't. And I still call myself a beer drinker, and I think I am a beer drinker, but this isn't my beer.
1: <laughs> By the way, before we start the album discussion today, I had some follow-up from our last episode with Peter Gabriel. Oh. I I was talking to Uncle Steve, Steve Moore, who we referenced in there because of the vacation I took where I discovered that album. So he reminded me, I forgot this story. When we were out there, he and Jerry Reese, who we've talked about, we've interviewed Jerry's son, Ian, before, uh, were pitching a movie at Disney. And I believe the name of the movie was Samurai Cat. I'm forgetting (laughs) specifically. It was based on a children's book. And so they had these big boards and they had all this artwork on it and they were going to go pitch this. This was after The Brave Little Toaster when The Brave Little Toaster was a pretty successful film. And they went to this studio in Burbank in this conference room. They had this pitch. So I went with them. I helped them carry the boards in because Steve and I were going to go, you know, I think that was the day we went hiking in Malibu after the pitch. Wow. So we sat down at the, in this conference room and I sat right in the front, like I owned a joint because that's how I roll. And uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm talking about that Steve. That's true.
0: That is how you roll.
1: <laughs> that is how I roll. I'm in the front row, baby. I'm talking to Uncle Steve. He's on my right-hand side. And this guy did a tap on the shoulder and I look over and-, and I swear to God, I did a double take. Guy says to me, could you pass me that ashtray? So that tells you, you know, this is 1987. That The guy's smoking in the conference room. And it was Roy Disney, Walt Disney's nephew. Oh, wow. At the time, he looked exactly like Walt. And so I reached over, you know, between me and Steve and I got the ashtray and I handed it to him and I sat for the entire pitch. I didn't get up. I wasn't part of the team, so I didn't get up and do any presentation. I just sat there the whole time. And as Steve and Jerry, and I forget who else was involved, were doing this discussion, he kept leaning into me and going, that's really clever. This or that, like as if I had something to do with it. So afterwards, we get to tour the facility because Uncle Steve had a classmate there whose name was Kevin Lima. Kevin Lima was working on The Little Mermaid at the time. So oh, wow. we, we toured the studio and there were storyboards of The Little Mermaid. In fact, Roy Disney showed us the sequence to Under the Sea storyboards for the song Under the Sea. So cool. And he was saying things like, this is going to really put us back on the map. Like he knew that the movie was going to be a spectacular hit. And it was very much in the classic Disney tradition, you know, after a long gap of big hits. Now, the reason I bring that up is because Kevin Lima ultimately directed Tarzan. Oh, and you referenced Tarzan. And, whose music Right, and we was talked written about by
0: Phil Collins. Phil yes.
1: Collins did the music for Tarzan, and Kevin was the director of that. What Uncle Steve told me that I was n- never aware of is that Kevin's first choice to do that was Peter Gabriel.
0: Oh, no way.
1: And Disney came back with Phil Collins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, wow. It
1: was like Peter Gabriel was a little too risque or avant-garde to put on a Disney soundtrack. So we'll go with the more commercial version of Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins. Isn't that a great story?
0: That is an amazing story. That's so funny. I wonder what it would have been like if Peter Gabriel had written that soundtrack. I'm sure it would have been amazing.
1: Well, I think part of it is because we had talked about the African influenced or the sort of tribal rhythms that he would use in his music. And so in the context of Tarzan, I'm sure that's what Kevin was going for. So anyway, I thought that was very, very cool. I, I, I didn't know that part of the story. I meant to tell the story about Roy Disney when we talked about that trip, and I completely forgot about it. And then when you brought up the Phil Collins thing later in the Tarzan movie, in my head, I went, oh man, I didn't tell that story. And then when Uncle Steve told me that, I was like, okay, I got to go back and kind of retcon that. So
0: that's so funny. Consider this an addendum to.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I can never get these guys on the record. He tells me that. I'm like, why don't you just call me and leave me that on a voicemail or something that I can play? You know, nobody ever takes right. me up on that offer. I always have to <laughs> recount the stories or read the emails. Actually, I take that back. One person did. Paul Zawaki sent us a delightful email. And I said to him, I could either read this or have you come on. And he was like, okay, well, come on. (laughs) But none of my friends will come on and go, here's the way that story went, Hummel. Anyway, Matt Nathanson's album, Modern Love. Give me some uh, information on the album itself.
0: So Modern Love, like I said before, is from 2011, and it was Matt Nathanson's seventh studio album. So the reason I was so confused (laughs) about what number album this was, is because with his album, Some Mad Hope, which was from 2007, and the other album I referenced when I gave you this album, he switched labels. So Some Mad Hope and Modern Love were his first two albums on his label called Van. Vanguard Records. And I really believe that that switch put him on the map because there were two hits from Some Mad Hope, which were Car Crash and Come On Get Higher, that were huge radio hits. And that is where we heard them on Sirius XM. And that is how I learned of Matt Nathanson originally. Then in high school, I had a friend, Skylar Evans with whom I traded a lot of music. And she turned me on to this album, Modern Love. I recognized the name Matt Nathanson. I knew I had heard those radio hits. I went and looked them up. And so I got really into these two albums, Some Mad Hope from 2007 and Modern Love from 2011. Of the two, I find Modern Love to be a little more joyful. (laughs) Some Mad Hope is a little bit of a depressing album. It's an amazing album, but it's a little depressing. That's why I chose Modern Love to share with you. So keep in mind, this is part of my closed door series. So you certainly may have heard some of these songs coming from behind my closed bedroom door. But I was super into this album when I was in high school. I found it very happy, joyful. It's a little sexy. (laughs) A lot of the songs are kind of sexy. It sort of, for me, was like, this is what adult relationships can be like. And so I just really, latched onto that. I have returned to it over the years, so I wasn't going into this suggestion blind. But listening to it now, some of the lyrics and (laughs) some of the song titles (laughs) remind me a little bit of teenagers writing poetry that they think is deep. And we'll get into specific examples of that when we get to the songs, but I don't mind that. It is what it is. And so I related to that when I was in high school because I was also a teenager writing poetry that I thought was deep. And so this was like, (laughs) I found this album right at the right time for me. And it was perfect. I do want to point out his first studio album was released in 1993, which was the year before I was born. So he's been around a really long time.
2: Do you
1: have any idea how old he is?
0: Well, he was born in 1973.
1: Yeah, he's almost 50. Yeah. So, you know, these albums, he was in his late 30s already. Yeah. First of all, I popped this in and I was instantly engaged. Nice. Musically, this is a delightful album. Slow songs, fast songs, all interesting musically. Joyful is a good word. I found it to be a lot of fun. It's almost exclusively an album about relationships. Right. Mostly good relationships, a couple of downers in there. So for somebody who at the time would have been, say, 35 to 38 years old, When he's writing these albums, your comment that it's like a teenager writing poetry, I find very interesting. So either he's writing for that target demographic or that's his style of writing, right? Either way. So let's make the comparison, right? The last album he gave me was Corey Chisel with very hard, deep. Dense lyrics and minor key melodies, and a really complex album where the writing, I said at the time, wow, this guy seems like an old soul. He's writing really deep lyrics for somebody his age. I'm going to make the opposite comment about Matt Nathanson. He seems to be writing lyrics that are well below his age bracket. Sure. So the question is whether he's doing that intentionally for a specific audience or whether that's his level of writing skill. Either way, I really enjoyed the album. It is a fun, beautifully done album. It's acoustically driven, which I love. The one thing I'm a little, and when I looked up the personnel on the album, you know, two of the first three people listed are listed as drum programming. So...
0: Ah, so that's not your favorite.
1: Not my favorite. There's some songs in here that I had to work around the clapping in order to enjoy them or the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of the digital drum track. Clearly singer songwriter kind of category, but very up tempo. Not coffee house, right? You know, it's it's really uh, acoustic pop.
0: But you can tell that he could do coffee house and. Some Mad Hope, which is the album that immediately preceded this one, is a very coffee house. I mean, it is pure coffee house. Did you listen to that album at all in your, you know, when you were prepping for this one?
1: Well, I did in the sense that so the first song came up on this album and I go, I vaguely recognize that. And I'm guessing that's because it was the first single release and it probably was on the channel I listened to on Sirius. Two songs on another album that you mentioned, I'm very familiar with. They got a lot of airplay on Sirius at the time. So I knew those. I think both of these albums are in my iTunes.
0: That makes sense. I bought them on the shared iTunes account.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So there's both albums are in there. So I was playing this one one day and it went to the next one. And that's how I heard, I think it was Crash is the opening track. Car Crash. And so I'm like, wait, I know that one. I didn't listen to the whole album, but I did kind of whip through it and go, is there anything else on here that I recognize? And I listened to A portion of it, but it is very good. And I certainly would listen to it in the future.
0: He's had a really fun career. You know, he's been around for so long, and I get the sense that he just does stuff because he wants to. I really have no evidence for this, but I get the sense from him that his career is not very calculated. Like he's just doing the stuff he wants to do. And I will give a couple of examples. He has released two cover albums. The first one was called Pyromadia. And that's from 2018. And that's an EP of Def Leppard covers. It's a reference to Pyromania, obviously.
1: Acoustic covers.
0: He played them in his style. He covered those songs as if Matt Nathanson had written those songs. And then recently, within the past couple of months, in late 2021... He released Octoon Maddie, which is his album of Octoon Baby covers. And he covers (laughs) every song on Octoon Baby, puts it on an album and releases it. And to me, that's so fun. That's
1: pretty funny. So, yeah, obviously, as a YouTube fan, I'll go back and listen to that one.
0: He also recently released a single with Brett Denon, who we have also covered on the podcast, called Junk Life, which is my favorite song of the moment. I'm just loving it. So he's done a lot of fun stuff. He toured with The Fray. You know the fray. Uh, Of course I know the fray. (laughs) The fray might make an appearance in my closed door series, dad.
1: I've been shocked it hasn't already.
0: Like he's just had a really fun and varied career, and I really enjoy this album. So I'm glad to hear that it stuck with you as well.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I put this one in and I had an instant connection to the music. I didn't have to work hard to like it. I felt like I had to work a little harder to like your last album, the Corey Chisel album. Mm -hmm. I respect the writing on the Corey Chisel album a little bit more than this one.
2: Sure. But if
1: given two albums, I guess it depends on your mood, like you referenced before as well. But if I were handed those two albums, the one that I would want to listen to, would be this one. This is just such a nice, joyful sound that what he's singing about is not necessarily relevant. And that's not the case with the Corey Chisel album. You really got to listen to what he's singing about because those songs are really deep and emotional songs. All right. Well, how about we get into the album then?
0: Let's do it.
1: So the first song is also the first single on the album, and that's the song Faster.
2: So delicious, so soft, sweet on the tip of my tongue. You taste like sunlight and strawberry bubbles.
1: So, you know, again, I pop this in. This is what comes on. It really sets the table for the album. It is the mission statement of the album. You're going to hear 11 songs that are similar to this. There are some slower ones. When I went through it the first time, I marked, Uh, seven of the songs off as things that I was engaged by. Wow. I had a couple that moved up, but didn't cross into the threshold of breaking the top three. This is my third favorite song on the album.
0: Mine too.
1: Get out of here.
0: I think on this album, it's conceivable we have the exact same list.
1: That would be pretty crazy. That would be. And so, by the way, musically delightful, delightful, I started at the beginning because I wanted everybody who's listening to have what I had when I popped it in the first time. Yeah. But You Taste Like Sunlight and Strawberry Bubblegum doesn't move me as a (laughs) 60-year-old, almost 60-year-old man, right? So when you're talking about lyrics that sound like adolescent poetry, I think that's what you're referencing.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: It works as pop bliss. Yes. Maybe there's one song in here where it's going to get a little deeper than that. But other than that, you're going to be hearing a lot of strawberry bubblegum today.
0: And you just have to enjoy it and be along for the ride. Yeah, I love that about this album. I love the radio static crackling at the beginning. I love the claps. I know you don't love the claps, but I love the claps.
1: Yeah. I This one, the clapping didn't take me out of the song. There's one on here that took me a long time to, when we get to it, we'll talk about it. I, I don't think that's radio static. I think that's the static of putting a needle on an old vinyl album is what you're hearing Oh, to, sure. To, to
0: okay. Yeah. I like sound effects like that. We've listened to a couple albums where there have been sound effects thrown in and it delights me every time. It's surprising.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a song on here where he almost sounds like he's in a megaphone briefly for a couple of lines. Like He does a few things on this album too. Yeah. I do yeah. like that stuff. I like mixing it up like that.
0: It just shows that he's having fun writing and producing the music, and that makes me have fun listening to it.
1: I get the sense that he's probably doing this in his own studio. He's not gone to a big-time studio and going through a big production thing. He's self-producing this and doing his own recording. And so having those kinds of digital tools and mixing it up a little bit is probably half the fun for a guy like this, right?
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm very different from you in that I like digital sound. I think that's probably just the generation that I come from because, you know, a lot of music produced in my teenage years and forward was very heavily digital. And I like that as a sound. But I really like that this album, the clip you played is a perfect example of it. That's acoustic guitar, sound effects, and a drum track, right? It's a really interesting mix of the pure music of it and acoustic guitar and then the digital. And it's a really, really interesting marriage. And I think that's what makes this album really special. And I enjoy it very much.
1: Just to be clear before we move on, there's digital recording of music, and then there's the use of a digital drum track.
0: Yeah, but yes.
1: So I'm with you. I, I was never somebody that complained. When we moved from vinyl to CDs and there were albums produced in the 80s, and I would throw so into the mix, the one we did recently, that it's recorded digitally for a digital audience.
0: Yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking I know about- that.
1: I want to be clear. I like the sound of digital music. Sure. There's something about digital drums as a classic rock fan that just bothers me a little bit. And it bothered me less on this album than it does on some others.
0: That's fair. And I happen to like digital percussion and all the other beeps and boops. The sound effects, I like, you know, synthesizer. I like all of that.
1: My specific thing is for whatever reason with digital percussion. And I can't tell you why that is, <laughs> but it just is. It's just a thing I have that That's I That's
0: fair. That's fair.
1: It's the only one of the digital things that really bothers me. So, Faster is a great way to open the album. It's a lot of fun. And both of our third favorite songs on the album, which yes, I guess we're is. going to play the match game today. This is going to be an interesting day.
0: Oh, I'm so excited.
1: So, the second track on the album is um, almost equally fun, and that's Modern Love.
2: Let in that. the phone calls take this sir So the one
1: thing I like about this song is that it has stops and starts in it. So it was easy to pick a clip.
2: Yes.
1: You could just chop it right out of the middle of the song without having to do too much work. So that's always good You picked
0: a perfect clip.
1: Well, I was trying to get all the different elements of the song and you know, I try to get a little bit of representation of chorus, any pre-chorus that might be floating around and then the chorus. And so it was easy to pick this clip. I think this happens to be a great song. This to me is probably one of the more complex lyrical songs on the album. Yeah. Because I find this song to be a song about equality. That line that's in there that makes me think that is the line. I'm Nobody's Girlfriend. Yes. As if to say, I'm on equal footing with you. I'm not your girlfriend. Right. And I thought that was very, very interesting. So this one was a little bit deeper lyrically than some of the other ones on here. And this was one that I liked the first time through, kind of a one star versus two stars. So it ends up being upper middle of the pack on the album for me. And it's a good one-two punch, right? It's upbeat, upbeat. Right. So you know, there's going to primarily be an upbeat album.
0: And I think that was wise, putting those two up front. I do. Again, we could have another conversation about resequencing an album, but I don't think this one needs it.
1: I totally agree with you on that. I don't think you need to worry about a song order on this. I think this one plays as a nice collection of songs the way it's sequenced. Yeah. And you'll notice he's got some slow songs in here and they are spread out. They are. There's not a, like you use that term with the Corey Chisel album about, I felt like I was an intermission. You don't get that here. This is an up and down album. The slow stuff's sprinkled throughout the album. There are probably three or four slow songs on here, but even though they're slower... There's still some musical trickery in there to make them a little more interesting to listen to than just a straight up slow folk song. But yeah, I really enjoyed this song a lot and found this one probably one of about three songs on here that was lyrically more complex than all the rest. This is one of those. And yet, even though it's lyrically more interesting, it didn't crack my top three.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It's probably my number four. I wanted to know what your thoughts were on making this the title track of the album.
1: Well, I think all the songs on here, because they're primarily love songs... I'll say relationship songs, but mostly love songs. Right, And so I think the title Modern Love ties all that together because a lot of the things he's writing about are issues of modern love, and I would say among a younger crowd. So I think it's a good title for the album because I do think all the songs deal with that thematically.
0: I think there's a lot of strong, independent women on this album. And I say strong, independent women as a trope, (laughs) not as describing women, you know? I think he has taken the... What is a strong, independent woman? He has thought about that concept, and then he has written about it. And I think it is interesting. I think he has an interesting mix of appreciation and frustration about that throughout the songs. But I agree with you. I think that is kind of a modern concept, the strong, independent woman making her voice known in the relationship.
1: Absolutely. This is more about, I think, what modern love in the current era would be about. And your comment, strong, independent woman is probably the thing that nails it the best. You know, that's his description of what modern love is, is that it's a give and take among equals. You know, we're not talking about a dominant person and a submissive person in a relationship. So your comment that is he frustrated by that's kind of an interesting comment.
0: Well, I'm thinking of one song in particular and we'll get to it, right?
1: Especially being that he's not 28, right? He's 48.
0: Right. He's 48.
1: (laughs) So that's the song, Modern Love, second track on the album. And so after that, We slow it down a little bit with the third track on the album, Love Comes Tumbling Down
2: Cities made of stone, sinking the flood.
1: So again, this is a slower song, but it's got a big sound to it. Yeah. So even though it's slower, it does fill the room when you're playing it. Comparing it to some of the albums we've looked at where they have to go from a fast song to a slow song, it didn't feel like that big of a transition, even though it was a slower mm-hmm. tempo. By the way, for the record, I don't really dislike anything on this album. Sure. But there's not anything on here I would ever skip, to quote a friend of mine.
0: <laughs> a daughter of
1: yours? Well, how about my co-host? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did like the use of the word tumbling in place of falling for, you know, the falling in love element of the song it's almost like he got a thesaurus out and said, I don't want to say falling. What can I say? Oh, tumbling's good. Let me do that. I'm not saying that's what he did, but then he wrote around that in a clever way. And he used some things that would make you think about tumbling, like cities made of stone sinking in the flood. He used that imagery to play into the use of the word tumbling. I probably feel about it the same now as I did when I first heard it. You know, it hasn't moved around a lot. It's still probably in the bottom third of the album for me.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if it had moved up for you at all. The image that has always stuck with me from this song is the bones of this town. I'll dance you around through the bones of this town. I think that is such a cool image. It seems like they're in sort of a rundown part of town or maybe an industrial town that has declined. And it just is a very cool image for me. And their love is growing and blossoming. And it's something beautiful, but they're in the bones of this town. You know, they're in this rundown dead part of town. And I think that contrast is very very interesting. And I really like that phraseology.
1: It's certainly interesting that bones is the word that he chose to do there. See, that follows the line. It says, spin you round through the roar of this crowd tonight. And then the next line is, dance you round through the bones of this town until the daylight comes. And it's almost like it's kind of after hours. Mm-hmm. The bones of the town, to me, what I was thinking about was just sort of the town is closed up for the night and we're the only people left on the street mm-hmm. and we're still out playing. This is what the town is like after everybody's gone to sleep, but they're still out and about because their love's that strong or that they're exploring love- maybe early in a relationship where we don't want to part ways, right? We're going to just keep Mm -hmm. doing things together because we can. So that's love comes tumbling down. I think before we move on to the next track, we should consider rating our first beer. Abigail, what do you think?
0: Oh, you know, despite my not initially being a huge fan of this, it is an almost empty can.
1: Wow. And I'm trying to behave myself today with these tall boys. You need to be a little bit careful, you know, because as we know, you are...
2: Vertically challenged.
1: So I'm the one behaving myself, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, what can I say? I, it's easy to drink.
1: It is easy to drink. It's a very nice, balanced pale ale. Yeah, I like it a lot. So I'm going to give this one a 3.75.
0: And I'm going to give it a 3.5.
1: That's a good rating.
0: It is a good rating. Well, you know, it's interesting. Some beers, you have a sip of them, and you think, wow, this is great, but a whole can is too much. And some beers you take a sip and you think, "Meh, nothing <laughs> Meh? special." Meh? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever <laughs> taken a sip of beer and thought, "Meh.
0: Like this is nothing special, but could I drink a whole tallboy of it?" Yes, and I will, and I almost have. So, is it basic? Yes. Does it have one note? Yes. Is that one note a flavor that is really not my favorite? Yes. But <laughs> is it smooth, light and easy to drink? Absolutely. So (laughs) this is getting a 3.5.
1: Sounds like you have a complicated relationship with that beer.
0: I don't know. I don't know if it's that complicated. It's like, can I chug a tall boy of this? Yes. That's all I need to know.
1: I don't think we should ever use the word chug (laughs) (laughs) on the podcast.
0: Can I crush a tall boy of this?
1: So that's Pompano Pale Ale. So next up, we're going to have Galaxy Skate, which is a hazy IPA. There's no description on the can. So if I'm going to open it, pour it, and then I'm going to indulge myself to see if I can find some explanation on Untapped.
0: Very cool can, neon sign style, looks like what you would see at a skating rink. The only hints on the can is that it lists the hops that are in this. Galaxy, Amarillo, Estrada, and Sabro.
1: So on Untapped, it's described as a juicy New England IPA, double dry hopped with Galaxy as the main hop, Hazy in appearance with lots of tropical fruit flavors. It does not tell us anything about the tropical flavors, what they would be. All right. So my first instinct is citrus, but I don't know that I can pick one out. Grapefruit, if I was going to guess.
0: I don't know. I'm not enjoying this one. No? You don't like that one? No. I can't identify a fruit and it's like it doesn't even truncate the hops at all.
1: I think... This is grapefruit. The more I sip on it.
0: It's pretty bitter.
1: It's a bitterness to it. Pithy. Pithy is the word you have used before. (laughs) Pithy. Grapefruit in beer is the hardest of the fruits for me, especially if it's pithy. I don't know that it's the hops that lingers at the end or the pithiness of the fruit, Abigail.
0: You might be right. But in my mouth, they both read as bitter. So it is hard to distinguish.
1: It is a bitter taste at the end. Well, listen, you don't have to drink a whole tall boy. And it's probably good for you because as we know... You are
2: Vertically
1: Challenged. That moves us on to track four, Room at the End of the World.
2: These streets are haunted with ghosts who wait on luck to with hornets and they wonder why they wake up stung instead can't catch me or call me ba-
1: So I find this song delightful. This is my favorite song on the album.
0: <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh wow. I was not expecting that, but I love it.
1: Okay, so we're not gonna match all three.
0: No, we're not no. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. Yeah,
1: no, no, no. This one is just uh it's so upbeat, it's so musically fun. I find the sentiment of the song really intriguing to me i mean i feel like it's a song about enduring love you know when you say we're gonna room at the end of the world it's because our love has outlasted the world we're we're that durable that we're going to be there at the end of the world Mm -hmm. and i think that's great and i love that line i picked that clip because i think my favorite line in this song and maybe of the entire album is the line sleep with hornets and then wonder why they wake up stung
0: yes that's so good it's a better version of you lay down with Dogs and you get up with fleas, right?
1: Yeah. You know, as a physician, the wake up stung for me is a laundry list of things like chlamydia and herpes. And
0: oh, God, as a pediatrician, I what? Well, I no,
1: no, that... no, just as a physician. What is the what is the stung? Uh Oh, it's this laundry list of really nasty things. That's you know. funny.
0: I did not even think
1: Yeah, that. no, I <laughs> it was the first thought I had, but in any event, the song to me is just raucous. It's fun, it's musically great. Uh, Really, really, really like this song. So that's the highlight of the album for me, this one.
0: So I agree with what you're saying about, you know, the enduring love. For me, the room at the end of the world is also sort of like a the world sucks. (laughs) Everyone else is terrible except for you. So if we're the only two people who survive this, I would be plenty fine with that. (laughs) You know, that obviously might be me listening through the lens of the past two years, but (laughs) I think it still holds up. The other funny thing that I take from this song, and this is an inside joke between you and me, so I don't know if any of our listeners will appreciate this, but we have this song, which is Room at the End of the World. We have REM, who famously has suggested that they were going to DJ at the end of the world. So I just love envisioning like Matt Nathanson and his lover (laughs) in a room with Michael Stipe and his whole gang of REM DJing for them.
1: (laughs) It would be the end of the world as they know it.
0: Which is another one, yes, another R.E.M. song. But anyway. Also, it might it might behoove our listeners to catch up on their R.E.M. as we may have an extra special bonus episode oh, related to teasing. R.E.M. dropping sooner than you may think.
1: Teasing another R.E.M. episode. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there was another thing I wanted to point out here. If you play this song from the beginning, I'm going to give you a pop quiz.
0: Oh, wow. A pop quiz about pop music.
1: Now, name the jukebox the ghost song that made me think of.
0: Oh, wow. Can I look at a track list or is that cheating?
1: No, you can look at a track list. I don't care about that.
0: Okay. Let me pull up the track list. I assume it's on off to the races. It's only
1: on off. Yeah, it's on off to the races. Fred Astaire. Play a little bit of that. See if it doesn't sound exactly like that. I just want to very, introduce your substitute teacher for the very
2: humble
0: dad <laughs> cool of
1: speaking smartly about music. Thank you very much. And by the way, two albums that you gave me. Yes. Not my background knowledge of music. I'm using new knowledge, in forming new connections. So I'm waiting for my thesis to be approved so that I get my (laughs) diploma from the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly about music.
0: Wow. You're so proud of yourself.
1: (laughs) I am. I'm very proud of
0: myself. (laughs) And really, that's all that matters. That's funny. Yeah. No, I totally hear it. And when I looked at the track list, I knew exactly what song you were talking about. So very good, Dad.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much.
0: Oh, the other thing I wanted to say about this song, and I probably should have said this up front. When I was talking about teenagers writing poetry and thinking they're deep and stuff, the fact that the title of this song, Room at the End of the World, the at is an at symbol. Room at, at symbol, the end of the world. And to me, that just screams like teenagers writing poetry, right?
1: But that means the song's not for me. It's for a different generation. So he's older, but he's writing for a younger audience when he does that. Because he's not of the generation that would have used that. When he was a teenager, none of that nomenclature existed. You're right. So that was track four, my favorite on the album. You had no comments about that. That makes me nervous. We're going to be two out of three and have a wild card. This was my wild card.
0: Just as always, I got my hopes up that we would be three for three. One of these Ah. days it'll happen. Oh,
1: it's going to happen. All right, moving on. The next track on the album is track five. It's called Kiss Quick.
2: Disappeared, bought into fairy tales But Sleeping Beauty just kept score And tried to sleep more She said I'm not quite myself tonight
1: a little long clip there to get to all the different musical elements. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this is not going to shock you. This is in my bottom two. Sure. It's not my least favorite, but it's down at the bottom. It's a slow tempo song. It is musically interesting. And there is a bit of a trick here. I talked about that other song. It sounded big, even though it was slow. And this song builds. The tempo doesn't change. But the music gets more intense over time. It gets louder, not faster, as I guess the best way to think of that. It's a pretty song. I don't have any issues with the song, but it's one of the two slowest ones on the album, and it's down at the bottom for me. It's not in a bad position. You know, it's parked between two up-tempo songs. It is a down-tempo song, and by the end of it, it's it's louder, so it blends into the next song well. It just didn't engage me as much as a lot of the other songs on the album, so I put it down at the bottom. But it's an okay song.
0: Yeah, I pretty much feel the same way. It's a slower song, so it's down near the bottom, but it's not my least favorite. I have a pretty specific reason why my least favorite is my least favorite. It's very pretty. It's certainly playing to his strengths, which is acoustic guitar. And I agree with you that it's well-placed, So yeah, no complaints about this song at all. It's not a skip for me or anything.
1: Lyrically, one of the things that bothered me about it the title, Kiss Quick. It's like he's in this relationship where you better kiss me quick or I'm walking away.
0: Yeah. It's not a good look.
1: Yeah. Right. It's not a good approach to romance, right? In the context of modern love, these different themes of what modern love is, this sort of hookup cultured approach to love didn't sit with me so well lyrically. A lot of these things are not overt in his lyrics. There's some ethereal quality to him where you have to kind of read between the lines to get everything of what he's trying to say.
0: It lacks specificity is what you're kind of circling around. You would not be able to tell from these songs whether he personally has been in these scenarios. It almost sounds like he's just writing about how this situation might be because there's nothing specific to really grab onto. I mean, that's fine, right? No, no, no. That's
1: a style of writing that's kind of interesting, right? That's more subject Mm -hmm. to interpretation. You and I get more discussions out of things that are vague than we do out of things that are precise.
0: Yeah, but I think in general the albums where we can say, wow, this is really specific storytelling. I mean, that's something we both appreciate. I'm thinking of Bruce Springsteen. I'm thinking of Jimmy Buffett. Those are albums where we had a lot of stuff to grab onto. And those were interesting discussions. I think that's something we both appreciate in songwriting. That is not on display in this album
1: sometimes those things that are more subject to interpretation or make you kind of think well what the heck is he really talking about also lead to an interesting discussion this one's neither of those (laughs) and i don't mean that in a bad way you're laughing Oh, i know i know we're not going to have a deep discussion about the specificity of these lyrics we're also not going to have a deep discussion about the vagueness of these lyrics there's some fun lines in here and they all play very nicely but we're not going to be discussing you know, the depth of a lyric, like, you know, he goes, kiss quick. I've got a line out the door. He's got 50,000 irons in the fire. So you better, you know, kiss quick or I'm moving on.
0: But dad, you have to finish the line because the last part of the line is the most interesting part
1: who all think they can save me. I just that line bothered me
0: for me. That's like the I'm the bad boy. I'm the person who just uses up women and throws them away. And all these people still think they can change me. And
1: he knows that. And he's still, I'm
0: still going to go through every single one of them and use them up and throw them out. And none of them are going to change me.
1: Yeah. That's why the line bothered me. Right.
0: Is it about a horrible person? Absolutely. But it's still an interesting line that shows that he has observed humanity.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'll give you that. He's observed humanity. Fabulous. That makes me feel better about getting up tomorrow. (laughs) Anyway, all that being said, I rated most of these based on the music, not based on the lyrics. They're kind of uh, floating lyrics with not a lot of deep meaning, and you can't really discuss them from a deep metaphor angle or from a specificity angle. So they're floating in the background as part of the song. So I rated most of these based on how did they grab me from a musical standpoint. That takes us to track six, which is Mercy.
2: me in. I wanna zero out and be born again. No more false starts and no dead end. Cause I'm in no shape to do what's right. And I see up as down and black as white. It makes me dizzy. I come apart. All this love, love, love in the dark. Mercy, mercy, both hands. Need less and More land. Mercy, mercy, less drowning, More
1: land. Less So this song, the first time I went through the album, I gave it a star, I liked it. But the clapping, this is the one where the clapping really took me out of the song. So
0: funny. The
1: more I listened to it, the more the song grew on me, at one point, I was considering moving it up into the third slot. Whoa! I just couldn't do it because of the clapping. It just took me out of the song enough. As much as I like the song, I love the sound of the song. I love the tempo of the song. I love the writing on this song. This might have one of the other better lyrics. The chorus is basically the crux of the song, right? I need less drowning and more land. I really liked that lyric. But I just couldn't. The clapping got me, Abigail. I don't know what to tell you. It's probably my 4A or 4B. It's right up there. Really like it. But God, that clapping just drove me nuts by the end of the song. I just couldn't take it.
0: Yeah, that's so funny. This is my favorite song on the album. Is it really? And
1: I can listen. I can see that. I would love to hear a version of this without the clap. It's a crazy aversion to have.
0: Yeah, it is. It's so specific. I love this song. I love the guitar at the beginning. I was so glad you played it from the beginning because the opening just gets me so hyped for this song, like the guitar, the claps, all of it. I love it. His voice is especially raspy in this song. And I really like that. It's fun to sing. You can tell he's really passionate about this song and he's having a great time singing it. It's sexy. Like the raspiness is sexy. It's not like the lyrics aren't explicitly sexy, but like his voice is just really sexy in this song. You had brought this up earlier. It sounds like he's singing through a megaphone at the end of the chorus. Yeah,
1: this is one of the tracks.
0: And then you didn't play the second verse, but the second verse is my favorite. He has a line about all these gardens full of snakes and fruit. I just love that line. So yeah, this this is my favorite song. And you know what? It has been my favorite song on the album since I picked it up in high school. I just love it. I can't say enough good things about it.
1: (laughs) This is a great song. I don't know what it is, man. I'm telling you, it's going to be like that until I am done with the podcast. so funny. The clapping kind of elements just really. And it's funny. Because when you hear about, again, I'll plug this show I've been listening to to catch up on my music history called A History of Rock and 500 Songs. And they talk about the evolution of Backbeat as a rhythm track for rock and roll. And Backbeat was simply a one, two, three, four pattern where the two and the four were accented as if they were clapping. Mm. And it was designed to have people in the audience clap To that pace. So when you hear the clapping, it is an integral part of rock music. But there's something about that digital clap on the song as opposed to putting a beat on there that people would clap spontaneously to. It seems to be the key difference for me. I don't, I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it. Hmm. If I'm comparing this to the first song on the album, the clapping's taken me out and it's got to be the other song.
0: Wow. I don't think I've ever had that strong of an opinion about anything in my entire life.
1: Well, you know, this is Pops on Hops, where no one is safe. This is Pops on Hops,
0: where, where no one whoa, whoa, is whoa, whoa, safe. Whoa. That was so cool. That's a new Pete Co. jingle that, that I have not one. heard yet. That was my first time listening to that. Love that, Pete Co. Love the echo so, on your voice there.
1: When we can spontaneously push buttons, it's going to be a lot more fun to play with. <laughs> so that takes us, I think, to track seven, which is called Kept.
2: Shooting stars Falling leaves Yeah, the more things change Well, the more I sleep well, I took her heart And I licked her wounds And morning came And it felt like truth But I, I should have kept my hand should have kept my arms inside. Yeah, I believe it now. Should have kept my head. Should have kept my heart. My heart.
1: So, this is it. This is the bottom one for me. Sure. It's of the slow songs, the slowest. Without a lot of other musical elements that would make it more dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's a breakup song, so it's kind of a downer. Again, I don't dislike the song, but if I have to put one at the bottom, this is the one I'm putting at the bottom.
0: That's fair. This is not my least favorite, but I totally understand why it is. But again, I think this is his strength, right? It's the acoustic song. So he's doing what he was meant to do. You know, it's pretty. It's not as pretty as the other one, his quick.
1: But he plays acoustic guitar in most of these songs. So when you listen to the acoustic guitar in Mercy, the track that just preceded this, it's a really up-tempo use of an acoustic guitar. Like we've talked about many times before, I don't mind slow acoustic songs. I I find those appealing as well. But if I'm given this album with the way this guy can play up-tempo guitar, Mm -hmm. which is very engaging to listen to, when you get one like this, it kind of takes you out of the moment. But the lyrics on this one are like pure poetry. I picked the section here where he goes, shooting stars, falling leaves. The more things change, the more I sleep. I took her heart. I licked her wounds. And when morning came, it felt like truth. Mm -hmm. What on earth does any of that mean? It's a series of random interconnected thoughts. Images. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: And so it just reads as background ethereal noise, as does the music.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think ethereal is a really good word to describe what this is. And I guess what I meant about the acoustic guitar is that in this one, it's more of a pure sound. There's less going on around it to distract you from the acoustic guitar.
1: Yeah, you really... Hear the acoustic guitar in this one. By the way, I would just like to point out that's the same song that I put in the bottom of the Corey Chisel album was the most acoustic song on the album. One but of these
0: days, I'm gonna pick an album where it's 10 songs of just pure acoustic guitar, and I'm gonna watch you grapple with that one. How are you gonna choose a least favorite on that one?
1: Oh, I'll find a way.
0: <laughs> I will find a way.
1: So we're seven songs in. We have four songs left. I think we should rate the Galaxy Skate. What do you think?
0: I agree with you. I have had two sips of this.
1: (laughs) We'll have a third one for your final rating.
0: This is a very full can.
1: Uh, It's higher than a 3.5. I'm going to give this one a 3.75 also. It's not just a I would drink it again kind of beer. I liked it enough that I would give it a a notch up above a 3.5. I'm
0: going to give it a 3.0. What does that mean? It means I would drink it again if I had no other option.
1: This is Pops on Hops, where Where no one is is safe. safe. Wow, no one is safe. If you had no other options, oh my goodness.
0: Yeah, I just, I do not like this beer. It's one note like the other one.
1: I disagree with that, but that's okay.
0: But unlike the other one, it's not easy to drink. So that's two strikes against it.
1: Okay, again, no one is safe. I don't find it one note because I think you get that pithy grapefruit thing that happens way after you've had your sip. So that's why I wouldn't call it one note. Now, if you don't like that flavor, you're probably not going to like this beer. The pithiness is the only thing on this one that is holding it back from going higher. Because you know, I generally give higher ratings to hazy IPAs than I'm giving this one.
0: Right, exactly. And to me, this doesn't drink like a hazy IPA because the fruit that they use that comes through at the end is itself so bitter that it's just bitter from start to finish. So for me, it's just a bitter drinking beer and I don't enjoy it.
1: That takes us to the final selection of the day and this is called liquid abstract it's uh, listed as a strong ale it's made with coffee cocoa nibs and vanilla and it's a collaboration beer with crazy uncle mike's which is a brew pub over in boca i think boca raton oh no oh no what
0: it sprayed me in the eye oh okay it hurts
1: so as I'm pouring this, I'm going to... Ooh! Uh-oh. I like it. <laughs> now that it's not in your eye anymore?
0: I didn't like it when it was in my eye, but now that it's in my mouth, I enjoy it.
1: Let me see if I can find some notes on the old Untapparino.
0: Speaking of Untapped.
1: Yeah, speaking of Untapped.
0: We haven't brought this up in a while, but untapped you know, we drop your name an awful lot. And, you know, all we're asking is for a little sponsorship.
2: Untappd, why don't you sponsor us?
0: That was another new jingle from our beloved friend, Pete Coe, and my first time hearing that one as well. <laughs>
1: so, Lots of surprises today.
0: It's a big day for me.
1: I hate to even reference Untapped since they're not sponsoring us, but...
0: I mean, it's kind of the whole conceit of the podcast, so we kind of have to mention them.
1: So you're saying...
0: What I'm saying is... but
2: don't you sponsor us?
1: Despite the fact that you don't sponsor us untapped, I'm going to read this explanation off your website for Liquid Abstract, a collab between 26 Degrees Brewing in Pompano Beach and Crazy Uncle Mike's Brew Pub in Boca Raton. This is described as a copper strong ale with coffee, chocolate, and vanilla flavors. This beer is massive for a light body look. It is not very dark. I'll give him that.
0: It's red. I mean, it's pretty red.
1: It's caramel colored. I agree with you. It's a good beer. And I didn't even have to put it in my eye to know that.
0: I've had strong ales before. My understanding is that that's an English style. Is that right?
1: Well, this is an American strong ale. Here's what we know about American strong ales. A strong, full flavored American ale that challenges and rewards the palate with full malty and hoppy flavors and substantial bitterness. The flavors are bold, but complementary, and are stronger and richer than average strength pale and amber American ales.
0: Yeah, but that description, I don't think this is really that. I mean, the flavors are more dessert You know what I mean?
1: I think the vanilla stands out. I think the bitterness is mild.
0: Oh, yeah. I, think- I don't get any bitterness at all. It's extremely sweet. It's bordering on maybe a little syrupy which I don't enjoy, but it doesn't quite get there. So it's okay. And I got the coffee more strongly than anything else.
2: I'm not
1: getting a ton of coffee on that. I'm not getting a lot of chocolate. I'm not getting a lot of coffee. Did it say coffee or was it just chocolate?
0: Yeah. No, it's coffee, cacao nibs, and vanilla. It's interesting that we're having such different experiences drinking this beer.
1: Did I send you the right cans?
0: Uh, maybe. I don't know.
1: All right. Back to the album. What do you think? Yes. So We're going on now with Track 8, which is an actual duet with members of Sugarland. Am I correct on that? Yeah. And that's the song, Run.
2: You turn, 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 turning me on like a slow I know that it's wrong still I run.
1: A mixed reaction to this song. I did not mark it off as one of my favorites when I listened to it the first time. It's not, I wouldn't call it a slow tempo song or a slow song, but it's slower than some of the other ones. I like the duet. I like her voice. I think it's fabulous. I don't know. It's just so overtly sexual that it just kind of bothered me. That was the main thing. It didn't engage me. There was a song, was it Arms and Legs, off of the Mowgli's album Yeah, that's similar to this, but more interesting. Yeah, I think this one's too on the nose for me. Musically, I like it. Again, I don't dislike the song. I I find the song interesting, but I put this one in the bottom third.
0: This is my least favorite.
1: Okay. Well, fair enough. Then you had a similar reaction than I did.
0: I did. Many of the same reasons. For me, this is essentially a country song. Sugarland is a country band, but to me, this reads very much like a country song. And I just don't care for it. I don't think it fits on the album, A. And B, I think her voice is not a good match for his voice. And I mean that in the sense that her voice is so powerful and commanding. And his in this song is way more breathy and quiet. And we know he can do powerful voice. He did so in Mercy, but he doesn't in this song. And so I feel that their voices are mismatched and they don't really grapple with each other the way I want them to based on the content of the lyrics, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: And so I don't care for it as a duet. I don't care for the country style. I don't think it fits on the album. And so for that reason, it's my least favorite.
1: It didn't read to me as country, I guess, because he's an acoustic guitar player. So to me, that's country adjacent to begin with. Doesn't have to be. I'm not saying it needs to be. But when something sounds a little more country with an acoustic guitar, that doesn't jump out at me and shock me. So that didn't really... To me, it was more like the content of the song than anything else on it. I'll tell you what it reminded me of, weirdly enough. There's a great song by Meatloaf, who just passed away recently.
0: Oh, rest in peace meatloaf
1: called rest in peace meatloaf is not something i ever thought i'd hear come out of your mouth but (laughs) it's almost like you've burned it i've burned the meatloaf and i'm going to throw it into garbage disposal and as i'm doing it i go rest in peace meatloaf (laughs) so meatloaf's an interesting guy and he had this massive album in the 70s called bad out of hell from the late 70s there's an amazing song on there called paradise by the dashboard light first of all, it is another sexual song, but it's way better written. And the female vocalist on that song also belts it out better than Meatloaf. Sure. So that whole third act of that song, that's a great song because there's like three acts to it. It's like a three act play. Mm -hmm. And the third act is him doing a duet with a woman who is amazing. And he holds his own. I'm not saying he doesn't hold his own, but she's so good. And when I heard this, it made me think of that Meatloaf track.
0: Wow, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is.
1: When you hear that in your head, you go, "Oh yeah, that song. That was so good. It made you realize why this one was a little bit weaker. The sexual tension in that song—it's in there without being overt. It's cleverly written.
0: Well, it's a baseball game.
1: Part of it's a baseball game, but here it's just overt. And I think I liked it better when it was subtext and not overt.
0: Yeah, that's fair
1: because it made me think of a better song that was similar. Maybe part of that is what took me out of the song a little bit. It's not really my cup of tea.
0: And obviously I agree with you. So,
1: (laughs) No, we're vibing today. I feel like we're on the same page.
0: It's a good day for us.
1: Hey, listen, I'm having a beer and talking music with my daughter. It's always a good day. Aw. So somebody's safe. So that takes us to track nine, the Queen of Canots.
2: Never seen AIM so steady. No, not now. So
1: such a great powerful song this is my second favorite on the album and i extended that clip where I did to get the line in that I love so much. You're someone else's crazy now. This has gone back to what you were talking about earlier about a relationship where he was not responding well to the powerful woman in a negative way where he's looking at powerful women in a bad light. But what a great song. It's musically raucous. It's powerful musically. Good song.
0: Yep. This is my second favorite as well.
2: Wow.
0: And it touches on a lot of the beefs I had with, well, you brought it up he's frustrated about a strong powerful woman i hate that line you're someone else is crazy now i think that's so disrespectful the title queen of knots he puts parentheses around the k talk about teenage poetry thinking you're doing you know cool and edgy (laughs) things with words and despite all of that it is my second favorite song because it is so catchy so amazing his voice sounds so good. His voice is super powerful. He has a little bit of that raspiness still going on. And the music is so big. I mean, it's a big sound and I just love it. I love it despite all the elements about it that I don't like.
1: Let me ask you about the parentheses because that's interesting. I understand he's using that as a homonym, right? Knots and knots. Like she ties me in knots and she's the queen of saying no.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And so he puts the parentheses around the K to imply both of those things, right? So is that clever that he did that to point that out to us? Like, what, how else would you have titled that if you wanted to imply both those things? And he means both. So the only way he can share that with you is to do that with that word. Does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. And I agree with you, except that... I think putting the parentheses there sort of assumes that your audience is not intelligent enough to pick up on that on their own. And that I think is what I take issue with. I mean, I think the smartest and best, we'll say comedy, for example, the best comedy is comedy that just assumes the audience is quick enough and smart enough and clever enough to get it. And if you don't get it, that's your problem. That's not the comedian's problem.
1: But if you listen to the song, and you hear the singing Queen of Knots, you have to make that decision. When he turns the lyrics in, how would you have written the title on this? What would your choice have been?
0: I would have said K-N-O-T-S, no parentheses. And I would have let listeners come to the independent conclusion that, oh, she's saying no. So she's also a queen of saying no. So she's also a queen of the other not. I think you just have to go for it and assume that your audience is as smart as you are and that they're going to catch up to you. Because if you don't, it's a little insulting and it makes you look like you think you're cleverer than you actually are.
1: So you have just underscored my belief that he's an older guy writing for a younger
0: audience. I'm certain when I was a teenager, I was like, oh my God, that's two words. I'm sure I was just so excited about that. But now I'm like, okay, I think we probably could have gotten it without that.
1: Yeah, but he was not and is not writing for you. Going back to my original point.
0: That's totally fair. I agree.
1: And clearly he's not writing for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've had a few albums where you're like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs>
1: All right. So that was track number nine. Moving on to track 10. Track 10 is called Drop to Hold You.
2: I got a love that comes in colors I got a voice that comes in screaming My old clothes they don't fit me now I am. When I was young I took off running I had a head full of tangles I had my heart for splinters all oh, oh, oh. and you
1: Like this musically it's probably the middle of third of the album for me I find it to be a love song about a woman who restores his faith in the ability to love again. That's the theme of the song. But it's very poetic, like we've been talking about all day. Very vague in the lyrics, like Mm -hmm. the part I played. I got a love that comes in colors. I got a voice that comes in screaming. My old clothes, they don't fit me now. When I was young, I took off running. I had a head full of tangles. It just is this imagery that seems to be a series of non-sequiturs that together end up telling a story, but not a very clear story. And I don't dislike that. And that is a style of writing, and it works in the context of a lot of these songs, because the whole album is made up of songs like
2: this. Right. And
1: this is musically cool. You know, I put a star next to it the first time I heard it, because it was musically engaging. Like the whole album, this is a very pleasant song and a very pleasant album.
0: Yeah, I pretty much agree. Exactly. It's very middle of the road for me. I'm not sure I have anything positive or anything negative to say about this song. It's just there, and that's okay.
1: Yeah, I think we've had a conversation a lot of times about, well, why do you play music? We talked about albums that, oh, I'm sitting at my desk and this would be very good to play while I'm working because it's ethereal and doesn't distract me. And then we have up-tempo songs that are great when you're riding your bicycle. So I think a lot of times we're in a mood or we're doing an activity and we put an album on to be the background soundtrack to that activity. Mm -hmm. This is a great, pleasant album, but there's nothing. It's like trying to hold sand in your hands. Yeah. There's not anything that you latch on to where you have a big, powerful discussion about the deeper meaning of the lyrics. They're pleasant, sufficient lyrics, and it's a fun album to listen to. And when we're done with this album, we're not going to be thinking about it in a kitchen for eight weeks from now. Because there's not anything deep to grasp onto with it. Right. You know, it's just pleasant, enjoyable music for what it is. I play this album more than the last two or three you've given me oh wow musically I really really like this album thoroughly enjoy it I'll play it again in the future I know that which takes me to the final track on the album Bottom of the Sea
2: come on down to the bottom of the sea come on down here there's room right next to me I'm tired of getting even let's get on, on, baby Live life at the bottom of the sea There's too many cars Drinking too much gasoline There's no good news On my TV screen There's a hole up in the sky So come on baby die Live life at the bottom of the sea Tried my best be someone else someone else my best to be someone else instead tried my best to be someone else someone else now there's
1: nothing I love this song this is the other one that I kept entertaining as putting in the third slot oh wow it's very pleasant musically oh. it almost plays like a children's song it's one of the only ones where the keyboard really stands out as a prominent feature And you know me, Mm -hmm. I like my keyboards. I like my songs with piano as a driving force and songs that I tend to pick as my favorites. So I kept coming back to it. Ultimately, I didn't put it in the top three. And then I started reading the lyrics. You know, it just sounds like a very simple song about maybe getting off the grid. The guy's complaining about there's too many cars drinking too much gasoline. What if we just walked away from everything? But the problem with that, when you go, let's walk away from everything and you say, let's live life at the bottom of the sea, makes me think of drowning. Mm. it reads almost like it's a suicide pact. Like he's trying to get somebody to join him at the bottom of the sea.
0: Oh, wow. Isn't
1: that weird that I would have that kind of reaction to it?
0: It is a little weird. It doesn't
1: play like that musically, right? It plays very, it's a very pleasant, upbeat song. But what does it mean to live life at the bottom of the sea? Join me to live life at the bottom of the sea. That's not leaving the grid. That's not saying, let's get a cabin in the mountains you know, and grow our own food and raise chickens. This is, let's go sink to the bottom of the sea. And so I had this weird second meaning to it. That was Hmm. why I think it's one of the more interesting songs on the album. I don't know that he intended that to be there, but that was certainly an interpretation I had because I couldn't figure out the context where just by leaving the grid, we would spend our life at the bottom of the ocean.
0: So do you also read Octopus's Garden as a suicide pact?
1: It's funny you said that. This song, Definitely makes me think of Octopus's Garden. Right? Absolutely. And I don't. (laughs) So why? I don't know. I think (laughs) I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden means you could scuba dive. I could go scuba dive in an octopus's garden and then go back to the surface. This guy's saying, I want to live life at the bottom of the sea. Well, how do you do that? How do you live life at the bottom of the sea? Concrete boots, right? Isn't that it? Isn't that how you do it? It was a weird vibe I got from it. Yeah. In looking at the lyrics, I had no sense of that till I sat and read the lyrics and gave it some thought. Despite that, I love this song. It was almost my third favorite. And by the way, this is a great closing track for the album. It is. You almost get kind of waving goodbye down the road as we go. It fades out very nicely at the end. Great closing track. So he really bookended the opening and closing tracks on the album very, very well.
0: I never heard this song the way you're saying you heard it. I just always thought it was just a fanciful dream he had. Like people say, let's go live off the grid, but his is he loves water. He loves sea creatures. Like, let's go live down there. I hear where your interpretation is coming from. You quoted the line. There's too many cars drinking too much gasoline. The follow up line to that is there's no good news on my TV screen. And while getting rid of a TV might assist with that, the real solution is drowning yourself, right? <laughs>
1: well, that's what I was thinking. On the surface, it's let's go hide somewhere. And the bottom of the sea is a good place to hide. Right. But you can't really well, survive at the bottom of the sea. So the secondary, right. deeper interpretation is I'm going to just take myself out. And not have to deal with all of the problems on the surface. Now, we know, based on our discussion, the way this guy writes songs is probably not so much about the deeper meaning. No. This is Pops on Hops, where, where no
0: one we're is we're safe. We're safe. The other lyric that lends evidence to your theory is part of the chorus that you didn't play, you actually cut it off before this line, which is, now there's nothing left of me. And he repeats that as part of the chorus. He ends the song with, I've got nothing left of me. Because of all these competing demands, he's giving his time and his energy to, and he just doesn't know who he is anymore. That, I think, lends evidence to your theory that he's been so eroded away as a person that he doesn't really have any other option.
1: Right. And the two ways you can interpret it is all those things are happening and I just want to walk away on the surface. That's the best one. Let's just go away and do this thing. Right. Get away from all of this. Right. That's the more positive interpretation. I'm just saying when you choose the bottom of the sea as the place you're going to run to, you lend yourself to a secondary interpretation of let's go drown ourselves together in a suicide pact. You know, I know that's a deep, weird interpretation of that, but there's other things in those lyrics that make you think of that. And that doesn't make me dislike the song. It makes me like it even better that there's a hidden subtext to it or a deeper Mm -hmm. subtext to it than a guy his age should be writing about as opposed Mm -hmm. to sort of pop songs aimed at teenagers. Mm -hmm. This plays like a pop song aimed at a teenager, yeah, but it's got something else under it potentially that I found interesting.
0: Even before this whole discussion, I mean, I just think it's a beautiful, pretty song. His voice sounds great. He changes keys a couple of times in the song, which I think is super interesting. We get to hear more of a range of his voice. And I agree with you. It's a perfect closing track for the album.
1: And there's no doubt that he, you can almost hear the inspiration of Octopus's Garden. I totally agree with that. I thought about that and I didn't put a note down to remind myself to bring that up, but I'm glad you did. And I like that you did. That means you're learning.
0: I'm learning. Excuse me. I'm the headmaster of the Abigail Hummel School for speaking smartly about music. What are you talking about?
1: Well, I'm the headmaster of the Barry Hummel School of speaking <laughs> smartly about beer. Okay, so why we, all right. <laughs> why don't we wrap up this last beer and then wrap up the album? So I like this one. It's probably my favorite of the day, but it's not a four. So I'm a 375 times three today. I'm going to give this one a 375. What I like about it, I like that it's smooth. I like that it's got some sweetness to it. I like the taste of vanilla. I can taste some hops at the end, but it's not overwhelming. So my favorite of the day but a 3.75 nonetheless.
0: I am also giving it a 3.75. Wow. Yeah, I made reference to this earlier. There's some beers where you take a sip and you love it so much, but you can't finish a whole tall boy of it. That is this beer. (laughs) It's really good. It's really tasty, malty, smooth. I get a ton of coffee. I, I do get a little bitterness at the end, but I think that's from the coffee, not the hops. But it's a little too sweet and a little too heavy for me to drink all of this, but I'm giving it a 3.75 on the merit of that first sip because I really, really enjoyed that first sip.
1: We spent a long time a couple episodes ago talking about whether you should rate a beer based on whether it was a flight size or the full can. Yeah. I talked you into doing it based on your sample size because I know there's beers that you would go, oh, I can't finish this whole thing. Yeah. You're not a person that's going to go sit down and drink pint after pint of stout. You shouldn't rate a beer based on how many of these could I drink? You should rate it based right. on what are the actual merits of the flavors and the and the style of beer. So yeah, this is my favorite of the day. And if I had tents, I could probably give this a different rating. But as we know, we're not sponsored by Untapped.
2: Untapped. Why don't you sponsor us?
1: Get it together, Untapped. You're killing me.
0: Really good guitar in that jingle.
1: He sings his own backups. Um <laughs> He sent me this one. He goes, how do you like this one? And I, I had that same reaction. Oh, I love it. He goes, well, I'm going to go back and do uh, some drums and I want to add some background vocals. And I'm like, whatever you need, Pete, set Pete free.
0: Hashtag free Pete. Co.
1: <laughs> and he sent it back and he goes, oh, I didn't feel like the drums made it any better. So it's just got the background. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm happy with whatever you turn in. I'm I, It all works for me, Pete uh So, anyway, my uh, assessment of this album is way above average. If I was rating this on the untapped scale, I'd give this one a four, maybe a four. And a Whoa.
2: Quarter. Yeah. Okay. Really yeah.
1: enjoyed listening to it. Would definitely listen to it again. So, now that we've rated the final beer of the day, I think it's my turn to give you an album.
0: Yes. My favorite okay. part of the podcast, canonically.
1: So, not <laughs> so. I'm not giving you so again.
0: Oh, why not? I liked it.
1: <laughs> well, that'd be an easy episode. Maybe it'll be shorter. <laughs> I'm still in medical school. I'm running through albums that I discovered while I was in Gainesville, circa 85 to 89. And so the next one on my list that I really want to share is an album called Kick by NXS. Your eyes got really big. Like you don't know what that that means. I have or what never that
0: is. heard of the band NXS.
1: Get out of here. You may remember this story. So the lead singer of NXS, Michael Hutchins, Died in a hotel room under mysterious circumstances. Many of his contemporaries have written songs about that. Michael Hutchins. Really? You 2s written one for sure.
0: What song?
1: I have to go back and look it up.
0: Here we go. Suck in a moment you can't get out
1: of. Stuck in a moment you can't get out of. You 2 That's the one.
0: Here we go. Six songs inspired by In Excess frontman Michael Hutchins's Life and Death. You 2 Stuck in a moment you can't get out of. Duran Duran. Michael. You've got a lot to answer for. Smashing Pumpkins, Shame, Berlin, Sacred and Profane, The Church, This Is It, and In Excess, God's Top 10. I feel that's a bit of a cheat, but...
1: Anyway, this was their smash album from the late 80s. I think it had five or six singles. It was a really amazing album. But what I remember about it more than anything was it was one of those albums that was so clearly recorded for the CD era... And was so good to listen to on CD. It was one of those albums where silence was silent. You know, that was the thing about vinyl. If there was a break in the song or it went to quiet, it was never quiet.
0: Awesome. I can't wait to listen to it. If you are just craving more Pops on Hops content in the meantime, you can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Pops on Hops pod. You can email us at Pops on Hops pod at gmail.com or... You can visit our website where we have photos, videos, and other bonus content related to each of our biweekly episodes at PopsOnHopsPod.com. That is also where you can submit to our virtual jukebox if you would like us to discuss an album of your choice and if you would potentially like to appear on the Pops on Hops podcast. Wherever you're listening to this, there is also a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Jingles, as always, are by our friend Pete Co. He is at Pete Vo on all the social media. And on behalf of Hops. And Pops. We'll see you next time.
1: So delicious. So soft. Sweet on the tip of my tongue. Uh, you taste like barley. And Tropical Fruity
2: Hops. (laughs) Bye.
0: We have a jingle you have, for that now. <laughs> <you> have, <laughs> Hold you have on.
1: A, you have a button.
2: Untapped. But don't you sponsor us. Untapped. Oh no wait. Ta-
1: You'd love that one so much. You always play it twice.
0: No, it's just, you. The, the fade on the end is shorter than the other ones, so I...
1: Oh, did I not send you on with a five-second fade?
0: No, but <laughs> it's okay.
1: Oh, it's
0: okay. It's fine. I I,
1: okay, it's fine. My apologies.